on the other end. The voice was small and cracked, almost like a child's voice. I think it was a woman, a girl. Are you? She said she wanted to meet. She wanted me to do two more broadcasts, and that would be the signal for her to go to the meeting point. Since I can't tell time, or... But that would be the signal. Two more shows, then meet, if I wanted. It was my choice, but just carry on like before until then. Just do the show. Do the show. Let's reset. Let's start over. Let's play that stupid music. Hanani, this is Phil. And have I ever talked about that? Hanani? It's Hebrew. It's what Abraham would say when God would call to him. God would be like, Abraham, where are you, buddy? He would say, here I am, which is Hanani. But it's more than just, here I am. It's also like, I'm ready. Because he knew when God came a-calling, it was for some crazy reason, like pranking him into almost murdering his son, or selling his wife to the Egyptians, fathering his son with his slave, or Hanani is the, here I am, I'm ready to face down whatever. It was also something Jenny's family used to say. When they were out and about and the family would get separated, they'd go, Hanani, here I am, Hanani. They'd find each other. I picked it up. Jimmy and I would use it when we were lost, or Hanani, it's good. It's, it's good to remember you're here, you're ready. Here I am, Hanani. Now let's play some of that CD and get this show started in earnest. We're back. This is the terribly named Phil in the Morning. Hanani, I'm Phil Etrog, your humblish host. This is the number one most popular citation needed, radio show for the survivors of the mushroom apocalypse, broadcasting from my dead cousin Bunker. He built it because he thought the government was going to take away his guns. He was the producer for a right-wing nutjob who was really angry at liberals, but not angry enough at Cremini and Portobello Mushroom. Now immigration isn't our greatest problem, unless it's south of the border woodiers coming north and taking American shrooms job of eating and tearing apart humanity. Though I don't think the mushrooms respect our borders. Mushrooms seem to be open border libertarians. Globalist mushrooms eat Canadian, American, Brazilian. They don't care about point of origin. All these people had all their guns and it didn't stop them. Why? <laughs> That's the big question. Today we're going to talk about the mushrooms because it's time to do that. We've talked about your sad sack, cis, white, sad guy, me, for too long. I'm not even a great sad guy. I'm not symmetrical enough for a Wes Anderson film. I'm not tough enough for an AMC anti-hero drama. No, it's just Phil versus the mushrooms. By versus, I mean I'm hiding and complaining about them. This isn't a hero narrative. I'm not Achilles at the gates of Troy or Luke Skywalker at the gates of the Death Star. I'm not even at the Gates McFadden in that weird episode of Star Trek TNG where she fell in love with an Irish ghost. Sidebar, did the Death Star have gates, space gates? No. No, I'm not going to get out there with my mushroom-killing knife, find the queen shroom, and lunge at it in slow motion. My blade at the ready, and there will be a big flash of light, and then it's all still, quiet. Me and the queen shroom. 
then a beat, then a noise, and the queen is cut in half and falls to the ground in two pieces. Humanity is saved, and then I go off until the sequel where the super queen comes. That's kind of a messed up thing, right? That there has to be an even more terrible monster in the sequel? It's our fault, the audience. Our fault, the heroes, continues to suffer. If we didn't want part two or three or 12 or whatever, the, the hero's story could just end. But no, we drag them back out and give them a worse threat. We don't want a sequel where it's just John McClane buying a house and raising some kids and nothing really happens and he just sort of makes dinner and it's just hanging out. No, he has to defuse a bomb on a plane that was elected president and if the president plane explodes, it'll trigger a stock market collapse that will bankrupt a charity that is saving poor kids in China from a robot or something. You need that China subplot to earn back your budget. You have to open strong in China, but they have all these rules. You can't have a movie about ghosts. The Chinese censors don't allow that, but didn't. Now, who knows? <laughs> now it could be all ghosts because most people are ghosts now. If ghosts make up a large share of the audience, they want to see themselves represented on screen. Ghost heroes. The ghost hero will have to fight a bigger threat in that ghost sequel. Because, because we keep making heroes' lives miserable so we can be entertained. Well, not just that. Remember Silenus? It's also so we can live through their suffering so we don't blame the Greeks. Speaking of the Greeks, the Greek heroes, there's an idea that's taught a lot in our modern age. Well, pre-mushroom age. pre whatever. The idea of the tragic flaw, the idea that the reason the hero fails or dies is because of an error or mistake in their character. Oedipus is too stubborn. Hamlet is indecisive. Indiana Jones is, well, he doesn't die, I guess, ever since he drank from that grail. But Indiana Jones aside, heroes die, not because of a tragic flaw, but because we all die. Dying isn't tragic. It's not a flaw. It's a feature. What the Greek tragedies are really about is how we decide to die. Are we going to choose the little death or the big death? Achilles will die, but will he choose the big hero's death or die maybe a more peaceful, quiet little death? It's hard to understand how the Greeks lived at all when they were so death-obsessed. Death does just feel so inevitable, but yet arbitrary. It's inescapable, yet we don't all think it's coming for us. We live inside those dual ideas. We are invincible. But we will die. But not today. <laughs> when I do, I'm team little death all the way. Not just because the French word for orgasm is little death. Uh, that's just a side benefit. Most of us die little deaths. That's probably better. Big deaths are hard. They usually involve a lot of other deaths. It's my problem with action movies. Every time the hero kills someone, I think about that person's family and friends. Or even worse, I think about the people who are nearby, the collateral casualties. This action guy flips this car on the freeway and jumps to a helicopter to escape these bad guys and sunglasses shooting at him. It's usually a him, but it could be a woman. But suddenly there's this big wreck on the freeway. Just regular little death people like us are dead. That's not cool or fair. How can we be asked not to worry about their lives? Or even the one guy who's not dead, but this big traffic jam makes him late for an important meeting. And now he's fired, and then his life spirals out of control. And this one time... I was with Ginny at a conference in Italy, Perugia, I think. It was over 4th of July, and I saw this sign at this one local restaurant, and it was like, America-style 4th of July party. It had like clip art balloons and American flags, mentioned hot dogs. I was like, oh, we should go. Ginny was like, we're in Italy, we're not eating hot dogs. We didn't. But I kept thinking about this guy who ran this restaurant getting all excited and then nobody showing up. 
He just wanted to celebrate this holiday and meet people and have fun, grill up some hot dogs, throw a baseball around, which is really just a rock he painted white. But he drew on the red seams. He spent all this money, money he didn't have, and his wife, well, she's upset. She supported him, sure, wanted him to pursue his restaurant dreams. They supported each other. He helped her with her master's degree in modular design, but now the baby was crying and all the money spent and lost on the hot dogs. Lots of hot dogs. They go out of business and get divorced, and all because I didn't go eat hot dogs at their 4th of July party. None of that happened, probably. But I still think back about that poster and I feel guilty. Maybe it was just a cynical thing. The guy was really like, <laughs> I'll sucker in these rude Americans who like their dumb, cheap, stupid food. <laughs> But it's really not that either. It, it was a thing he did, probably did fine. The restaurant survived. It was one day in a long life. To him, it's nothing. He doesn't even think about it. But here, years later, still guilty. Guilty we didn't eat hot dogs on the 4th of July in Italy. I've always sort of been overly sensitive. I cried a lot at movies when I was a kid. There was this one movie, Batteries Not Included, about these little robot alien things who save a tenement of colorful characters from getting evicted. There's one scene where the little alien robots are helping in a diner and one of them gets cheese on him. It's dumb, but in the end, the whole neighborhood comes together and it's nice. I cried at that. My dad really made fun of me. He called me Weenie Boy, which isn't clever, but it really stuck. With him, he'd be like, Weenie Boy, how's it going? What you crying about today, weenie boy? Weenie boy. There's nothing really to say about that. That was... It just was. Some stories just don't have... There's like no real lesson. Or moral. It's more just... What the fuck was that? It's like that story, The Musicians of Bremen Town. Do you remember that one? It was like one of those grim fairy tales or something about a donkey, a dog, a cat, and a rooster who want to go to Bremen Town and start a band. But they're animals, and then they go to an abandoned house, and some burglars come, and they, the animals all stack on top of each other and start making noises, and it scares away the robbers. Then the animals just decide to live in the abandoned house. That's the story. What? Why? Why do the animals stack on top of each other? That's it? You hear those stories, and you just accept them because you're a dumb kid, and then you read them to your kid, and suddenly you're like, what the fuck am I reading? But you keep doing it because that's the way we're raised. Raised to read this story for all these years and pass it down, so I guess we have to keep doing it. Routine. Repetition. We keep telling these stories even when we don't know what they mean. Our own stories are even more just a collection of things happening. We look back and they make as much sense as a stack of animals living in a house. There was this kid in middle school, Marvin Werner. He transferred to our school in seventh grade. He was sort of weird, sat alone. Of course, my friends and I, who were also sort of less popular, let's say. We ended up at the same table, and he said he was Pakistani. We were like, cool. He talked about Pakistan, showed us his food, which he said was Pakistani food. Then sometimes he'd just start singing, Pakistan, Pakistan, Pakistan. But we were pretty sheltered, dumb suburban New Jersey kids, so we were like, okay, sure, whatever. Then after about a month or so, he was gone. Never saw Marvin again in school. So fast forward years later to high school, Somehow we mentioned Marvin. Maybe we were talking about Pakistan or something. And our teacher, Mrs. Zelanuski, she was like, Marvin Werner? She told us that he was not Pakistani. He was Dominican, but pretended to be Pakistani because he was having problems at home and it was some kind of coping mechanism. Now he was in a special program at the technical high school. 
Before that, we never questioned that he was Pakistani. Even though, looking back, it didn't make sense. But I don't know. I don't know what that story is or, or means, or even if I'm remembering it at all. Why did our teacher even tell us that? Sometimes we're on the edge of a story and we just don't have all of the pieces and we never will. I might have thought for my whole life that Marvin was Pakistani. I would have told you a story about a Pakistani kid and it would be all wrong. I'd be lying, but not even know I was lying. My truth would be a lie. What is that? Is there a lesson in that? Or is it just more animals stacked up in an abandoned house that I try to find meaning in? Let's talk about the mushrooms, since this might be one of the only chronicles of this period of late-stage humanity. Let's talk about where the mushrooms came from. Let me be clear up front. I don't know. I wasn't in a position of power or sway that got all the inside info on the mushroom plague, but there were a lot of theories, wild speculation. Here's what I know. The first events were reported in North Carolina. A county park was covered in red pre-spore mushrooms. They spread quickly. This was seen as pretty funny at the time. People made jokes about it. There were a lot of pictures, mushroom selfies, and they were pretty bright red. It covered the grass, the bark of trees. It looked like the whole park was dipped in candy apple coating. I remember Ginny and me talked about it. We were talking about painting the living room. Like she didn't have enough other things to do. She wanted to paint the living room. I suggested mushroom red. Like it was a fucking joke. Like it was... Then the spores all released. People got sick. They said about 90% of people exposed died. The first hot zone. First their eyes turned purple and sparkly. People like that. Lots of Instagramming of that. But with it came blurry vision. Then the mushrooms would start growing out of the skin, leaching the body's nutrients. It was... There was no way to stop it. It spread fast. Then there were the other 10% the ones who turned into the mushroom monsters, the actually weird mushroom creatures. At least, we think that's what happened. There was the Hollis footage. That was the most famous video. It showed a person turning into a mushroom creature. But it wasn't proven, and people think it might have been a hoax. People say, why would you make a hoax video? Why not? People are fucked up. So, yeah, I also don't know where we get that 10% number. I think 10% is just what we give to low chances of things happening. It's like how in the Bible they use 40 days to just mean a long time. That's why things are 40 days or 40 years if you want to mean a real long time. It's like how in a minute used to be like not a long time. Like, oh, I'll just be a minute. Now people say it's been a minute and that means a long time. I guess time is, the way we communicate is so quick that a minute is a long time now, but it used to be short. 40 days, like 40,000 years ago, was a damn long time. It was hard to even think about. Well, oh well, if a minute is a long time now, then 40 days should be super long for us, but 40 days doesn't seem as long. It's been a minute that 40 days has been shorthand for a long time. Maybe I should use that, since actual time is... I have no idea. I have no idea how long it's been since... since 40 days. 40 days can still be a long time. I remember one time Ginny and I were in a cathedral in France. She had been studying early church traditions because that's what she did. She started with Soviet art and would keep finding new areas to dive into. She got interested in early church traditions and then medieval church things, then 18th century Islamic art for a little while, and then... Anyway, 
we were in this church and she starts moving some chairs around. They had set up folding chairs because there was a concert that evening. I was like, hey, don't. I wasn't ever really comfortable with churches, like seeing them as art or they were more the places where God yelled at you for everything. But Ginny had no trouble poking around churches. She always said, the church killed enough Jews that I can go where I want. One time, a priest started yelling at her when she got too close to something, and she kept just saying, the Inquisition, the Inquisition, to him. It was not, I ended up going outside. But she got to go look at whatever it was she wanted to look at. Ginny Etrog was not to be stopped. She's moved the chairs, and I'm like, what? She points to the floor. There's like a pattern or something on the floor. I'm like, great. She says, no, it's a labyrinth. You see, like a maze. It was. The floor was gray, but there was this sort of path in black stones that formed a maze pattern on the floor. Apparently, a lot of early churches had these. Ginny told me this as she walked through the maze. She said, they found this ancient document that talked about how during Easter, the priest would carry a ball and dance through the maze. It was a lost ritual, dancing with a ball through a maze. Some people believe that it tied back to pagan beliefs and the story of Theseus and the Minotaur that the ball represented the ball of twine he used to find his way out of the labyrinth. I was like, why would a church have that? She said it was a little more fluid back then, like how early pictures of Jesus all looked like Alexander the Great, and he only became that cool bearded guy later. She started doing a little dance as she worked her way through the maze. It's a vestigial artifact, a half-remembered thing, this maze. She then said the Theseus thing was just a guess. They really don't know. She hated when there was no direct answer. Maybe we should just embrace the mystery, I offered. That's what lazy people say, she countered. She danced to the center of the labyrinth. The church custodian came in at this point. I got upset about the chairs. He cut right across the labyrinth on the floor, ignoring the pattern of black stone. You're cheating, Ginny told him, pointing to the floor. He didn't speak English or pretended he didn't, which was a very French thing of him to do. He started putting the chairs back. You're lucky, she told him. A lot of churches got rid of their labyrinths. It didn't fit with modern ideas. The priests wouldn't play ball. She worked her way out of the floor maze, respecting the black stones. She stepped back, free of the labyrinth. She bowed to the custodian, who probably hated her at this point. She smiled. I miss that smile. Maybe it's just pattern and not a maze at all. Maybe we're making just a random design into something more, I said. Oh, we're always doing that, she replied, but not this time. We don't see what's right under our feet. It's ancient history calling to us, begging for us to remember. This is deliberate. A lot of people feel the mushrooms are deliberate as well, which is where we get into the idea that the mushroom plague was an inside job. But who's inside? Whose job? There was a thread on Reddit about some Iranian mushroom scientists. I know. But apparently there was an Iranian mushroom scientist in Canada who was working on some kind of GMO mushrooms that would provide triple nutrients, supposedly. Some say he deliberately created the toxins to destroy us, or Canada, or whatever. But back then, there was always some Iranian to blame. Others said it was just an accident from GMO mushrooms that mutated, or... Other others say the military was developing high-grade weaponized mushrooms to drop on Yemen. Why Yemen? Why not? A spore shipment being driven from some secret base in Virginia to the NASA labs in Florida crashed in North Carolina, and that's what caused the outbreak. Or not. Another thing I read before the internet went down was that in Alaska there was a record hot summer, like the eighth in a row, and somewhere up there they found the body of a woolly rhinoceros. 
which is an ancient extinct creature like a rhino, but covered in fur and its horn is bigger and it's bulkier, but basically a hairy rhino. Some scientists took its body, but in its fur were these weird mushroom spores. One of the scientists was from North Carolina. He goes back home, he's been infected, but again, I can't corroborate. No matter the cause, the mushrooms killed in two distinct ways. First with the spores and just destroying our bodies, then the creatures that had like stock legs and the 40 mouths. It's hard to describe them. Imagine if you said to a kid, draw a mushroom that would haunt your nightmares forever. That. When we were at a holding camp, some people said the mushroom monsters were actually people who turned into the monsters. Others said they just sort of burst out of them. No one knew. Not really. Not all the giant ones started eating people. There were some that grew like 500 feet into the air on these narrow stalks and just sort of swayed in the breeze. They were a pale silver and sort of glowed faintly at night. I only saw them on TV. I don't know how they spread so fast. There were also some green little ones that grew up in the sides of buildings, a lot of them in Ohio. It was happening internationally also, but it got really bad in the U.S., so the news was when there was news. Ginny and I didn't know what to do. When everywhere is on fire, there is nowhere to go to avoid the fire. We're not survival people. As brilliant as Ginny was, she... I don't know how Kevin's bunker came up. Was it her, me, or... But we weren't that close, distance-wise. Also, since he started working for... We thought maybe we could just wait it out. But it just got worse. You don't really know what to do. Because there was normal, and, and it was normal for so long, and it made sense, and then suddenly everything worked differently. But not all at once. As weird and terrible as it was, it wasn't super fast, or, or it didn't seem like it. it it was a minute. It was 40 days. It was all of that. You try to ignore it. You, you think, oh, they'll take care of it, but then it's not getting taken care of. It's getting worse. But there's still nothing you can do. Not really. You text a donation to this or you volunteer at that, but it keeps happening and more so. Closer, friends die, neighbors leave, but you, you go to work. You make dinner because what else do you do? Until you wake up and your local Starbucks is covered in red mushrooms. The little park in your town is being used to burn bodies. There is no job. Food is rationed. They're giving out gas masks. And then came the giant mushroom monsters. I think there were three. One was in the Great Lakes, just sitting there. Lake Huron, maybe. It had tentacles, like a hundred tentacles. And they scrambled fighter planes. But I don't know what happened TV broadcasts were not constant by that point. After that one big one destroyed D.C., things really went to shit. You drive away. You try to leave, and you're stopped at a, like a rest area. They direct you inside. But soon, the people directing you are gone. Because the government is gone, so there's no one in charge. People are freaking out. You get lost. You say, Hineni, Hineni. You, you wonder if anyone will hear you. At night, under the broken Sabaro's pizza sign, you tell each other stories hopes. You pin your hopes on an idea, a bunker. You keep talking up this idea, not to anyone else, just Ginny, because you just hope Kevin will let you in. Ginny and I, we rip onto this idea, like, because it, it's our only hope. You're not sick yet. Maybe some people are immune, and maybe you're one of the lucky ones. 
You manage to get gas in a car and you drive. You stop because there are cars just abandoned, so you get across them. Then you find another car. You keep going. You meet people going the other way. Everyone is running in every direction as long as it's not here. Anywhere else is a better place to be. Everyone has their secret plan. People want to help each other, but they want to help themselves more. I get that. We all get that. We're still selfish. We're still human. When you see someone dying from the mushrooms, you ignore them. You just walk past them. Arms swollen with spores, fingers growing toadstools, blind purple eyes, mushrooms growing out of their mouths, choking them. It, you've seen it. You've been there too. Kevin was dead when I got here. Jenny was dead then too. I, I hope the future doesn't judge us by our worst moments. We didn't know. We didn't. We tried to build something, and we tried to give ourselves the best possible world. Maybe the mushrooms wouldn't have happened if we'd planned better or, or been better. Maybe if we had helped starving people, we wouldn't have needed to create GMOs that created killer mushrooms. Maybe if money weren't so important, we wouldn't have, or bomb other countries, maybe, but maybe even if we were our best selves, it still would have happened. Or I'm just being a little weenie boy about it. I put up my own walls to deal with it, to not cry, no matter the movie or mushroom. You sit in the cold and you'll be a man. My dad. He, oh, he wasn't just that. He wasn't. He wasn't. If he was always that, it'd be easy to just leave it all. To remember him and me having fun, being fun. He... We would play Dragon Warrior on Nintendo, and I would be his navigator, and we would solve the puzzles. One time when we got stuck, he even let me call the Nintendo Power Hotline to figure out how to get the Sunstones. He liked jokes a lot, especially dumb ones, ones that drove me nuts. Here was his favorite. This will be good. Get away from all that mushroom, all... It's long, but he loved to tell it. A couple has a child. He's their pride and joy. They've been trying to conceive for a long time, so they want to give their son every opportunity in life. When he's four years old, they throw him a wonderful birthday party. Balloons, a clown, a pony. They ask him, what do you want to be when you grow up? He says, I want to be a conductor. They think, he's young, he'll grow out of it. Next year, he turns five years old. They throw him a big party. Balloons, a magician, a pony. They ask him, what do you want to be when you grow up? He says, I want to be a conductor. Okay, he's still young. Next year, six years old, they throw him a party. Cake, balloons, guy dressed as Batman. What do you want to be? I want to be a conductor. Seven years old, party. What do you want to be? I want to be a conductor. Eight, conductor. Nine, conductor. The parents worry, but fine if that's what he wants to be. Ten, party, conductor. Eleven, conductor. Twelve, conductor. Fourteen, conductor. Sixteen, conductor. He graduates from high school. His parents enroll him in a state program to be a train conductor. He gets a job with the trolley service as a conductor. His first day, nice uniform, mom ironed it, a jaunty cap. He drives the trolley and right on the first day, he hits a pedestrian, killing him. He's taken into custody. He goes to court, found guilty of recklessness and murder and given the death penalty. It was a different time when this joke takes place. The judge asks the kid, before I send you to death row, do you have anything to say? The kid stands, tears in his eyes. I want to be a conductor. They send him to jail. Appeals are denied. The 
priest arrives, he gives him his last rites. He walks with the warden to the electric chair. They strap him in. Any last requests? I want a cigar. The warden gives him a cigar. Kid takes one puff on the cigar, then throws it to the ground. It rolls to the corner of the room into a sewer grate where it eventually ends up in the ocean. The warden then growls at the kid, any last words? I want to be a conductor. They throw the switch, zap. But the kid is still alive. They're dumbstruck. They take him back to his cell, give him a new date of execution. The day arrives. This time the local bishop comes, gives him his last rites again. He walks again with the warden to the electric chair. This time they have taken all the power from the tri-city grid. There's an enforced blackout in the towns nearby. They strap the kid in. Any last requests? A cigar. The warden gives the kid a cigar. He takes one puff on the cigar, then throws it to the ground. Rolls to the corner of the room into a sewer grate, where it eventually ends up in the ocean. The warden then growls again at the kid. Any last words? I want to be a conductor. They throw the switch. Zap! But the kid is still alive. They're awestruck. The bishop falls to his knees. They again take him back to his cell, give him a new date of execution. They bring him to the Hoover Dam to use the full power of the dam and all of the surrounding power to electrocute this kid. The cardinal comes, gives him his last rites. The warden hurries him down to the chair right at the turbines. The warden, without asking, hands the kid a cigar. The kid takes one puff, throws it down, rolls off the side of the dam into the falls and eventually via various rivers into the sea. Warden doesn't ask about last words. He just tightens the straps. They throw the switch. All the power of Hoover Dam and the surrounding towns, even the lights of Vegas go out to send the electricity to the kid, and nothing happens. He's fine. Everyone is shocked. They stare, mouths agape. The cardinal clutches his crucifix. The kid shrugs and says, I guess I'm just a poor conductor. There you go. His favorite joke. I think because the joke is on the person listening. It's the journey, not the pun. In some ways, it's ironic. It's his favorite joke, since the reason he left our family is because he went to prison. We didn't visit him. He, and it's, we all draw our own mazes, and some people can just walk through those walls. They don't see the pattern on the floor, but for us, there's no crossing the black stones. There's no getting out. So, the phone call. You call. You told me to go to a gas station convenience store near what was once the highway. There was a roast chicken place there once. I guess you're not far. But then again, how far can this signal really go? How far do I reach? She sounded so... I'm not sure it's real. You're real, that you're listening right now. If you are real, I'm not sure it's true. The world is full of mushrooms, and I don't know. About you, are you deliberate? In the middle of the maze, if we are stuck in the maze, we can dance. Not sure if that helps. Dancing always made me self-conscious. It... You know what you can't dance to? This CD, this. Here, listen to this. How do you dance to that? And again, how do you dance at all anymore? One more show, right? That, that's the deal. Then we can meet, if I want, if I'm ready, if I can bear to leave all this. 
Those animals never made it to Bremen Town. They barely even tried. They just stayed in that house. They just... What would they have even done if they got there? Would they have just cooked the chicken, put the donkey to work, and then sent the cat and dog to a shelter? Or... Or... Listen to that right there. What is that instrument? What is going on with this CD? I've listened to this fucking CD a million times, and sometimes none of it even sounds familiar. I can't with this right now. I just, I... One more. One more, then... 